So the question is, who are you? Who am I? How, how do we describe ourselves? How do we know ourselves? How do we identify ourselves? Who am I? I have a physical description. I am male. I am 5 foot 11. I've got brown hair and green eyes. Is that who I am? Maybe who I am is defined by my education. I went to Rio Grande High School and University of New Mexico and University of Texas Dallas. Who am I? Maybe it is based on my relationships with others. I am son to Curtis and Cindy. I am husband to Laura. I am father to Bonnie, Elena, and Clara and baby girl. <laughs> Who am I? Maybe it's based on your ethnicity and nationality. I'm being born and raised in New Mexico for the third generation. Um, I'm white, um, which is significant growing up in the South Valley. Who are you? Maybe you are a name. My name is Jason. And I have a middle name, Curtis, after my father. And I have a last name, Burnett. Who am I? Those are all descriptions of who I am, and you can answer those questions as well with your own unique answers, but is that really who you are? And the world is asking us this question all the time, who are you? It may be framed in some different way, it may, may be worded in a different way, but the question is, who are you? Maybe the question is, where do you work or what do you do, but the question really is, who are you? And we each have our ways of answering those questions. And we have our ways of sizing one another up and assessing one another and, and trying to fit one another into some sort of box, into some sort of stereotype of who the other person is. We are launching into a new series today. We're going to be here for four weeks talking about identity theft Identity theft is one of those things that if you've experienced, you don't want to experience it again. And if you haven't experienced it, you don't want to experience it because it is one of those things where somebody comes in and takes something of yours, a social security number, a credit card, a bank account number. They take what is yours and they create counterfeits and it wrecks havoc on all of our financial life and then all the ripple effects along the way. Your credit, trying to get a loan or get into an apartment or even get a new cell phone can all be damaged because somebody comes in and steals your identity. Somebody else is pretending to be you. They take your information and they twist it and they manipulate it to serve their purposes. And we're the victims of that. We each have an identity, but there is an enemy who wants to take that identity from us who wants to come in and steal the identity, who lies and cheats to get our identity twisted and tangled up into something that it isn't supposed to be. So next week, we are going to talk about the very first identity theft, and we're going to look at Adam in the garden and, and the identity that he had that was stolen from him the week after that, we're going to talk about ID counterfeits and, and the tools that the enemy likes to use to try to steal from us. And then the last week, we're going to look at a restored identity through Jesus. But for today, we're going to start out by just looking at names. Names play such a critical role 
in us establishing our identity. You can see up there where, where names in, in, in this triangle shape, names lead to identity, and through that identity it leads to behavior. That our identity really does come from the names that others have given us, from the names that we give ourselves. Laura and I have been spending a lot of time on baby name websites, trying to figure out that perfect name. For me, um, for any of you who know me very well, it's no surprise, I have quite a long list of criteria and am very picky about what a name should be for a baby. And I won't get into all that criteria because I will offend many of you because you have names that don't meet my qualifications. <laughs> but I'm picky, and on top of that, I have commitment issues. And so you've got this name that you have to be happy with. You have to be able to yell this name. You have to be able to talk this name. You have to be able to write this name for a very long time. And so you really have to settle on something and... Um, it's, you know, I don't want 20 years from now this poor child to be in counseling because of this name that I gave them. <laughs> Naming a kid is important. It's an important thing, and, and it's less important to some. Um, some people maybe don't take it as seriously as they should. Um, baby Center has this list of unusual baby names and um, names that are just really quite absurd. We were looking for names, and one beautiful name was Absidy, um, which sounds fine, but it's spelled A-B-C-D-E. Um, that may, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that that is just an urban legend, and some child is not walking around learning their A-B-C-D-E's quite so soon. But, but for girls, here are some real names. Blip, Blip, Fairy, Kiwi. For boys, it gets better. There's Ajax, Bobo, Cheese. Cheese, say cheese. Uh, Danish, Egypt, Jag, Panda, and Rockets. You know, the thing is, these are going to be the kids of our future. So we are going to have a president named Kiwi and a fashion icon named Cheese. Because parents, I don't know what they were thinking, but hopefully I have not offended any of you or your children or grandchildren in this process. I think there's significance in giving names. We, we, we named Clara Jean because we wanted a C name that honored my parents and my grandparents that all had C names. We've got Charles and Carlene and Curtis and Cindy, and we wanted to honor them with a C name and had Clara, and Clara means bright light. Um, Jean is a family name on Laura's side. And so we have finally landed on a name. This is all just a setup for the big reveal. Um, this, we finally landed on a name for our next baby, and the name is Annabeth. And Anna is a name that means gracious, and Beth is a, a name that means God is my oath, which is also Laura's middle name. And so Annabeth, and we're still working on a middle name, that is one name, Annabeth. <laughs> which, by the way, does not meet one of my criteria, but one of my criteria is it should be one name, not two, and anyway, but Laura won. 
So there are names that are given to us, and then there are names that we give ourselves. Uh, many of us are given a name and we decide to change it sometime later. We don't like that nickname or that pet name or, or the, the Annabeth, so she's going to go by Anna. You know, there, there's, there's those names that we change for ourselves. There are reasons for giving names. Some are very meaningful and thought out. Some of them are family names. We have friends in Dallas who they had to name their son Earl because they had Earl 1, 2, 3, and 4 all before Earl 5 got here. And so the first boy had to be Earl because it's a family name. Some names just sound cool, and some names are just flat-out misguided. <laughs> but we have these names. Beyond our legal names, there's other names that we give ourselves. Fat, ugly, shy, geek, stupid, dumb, smart, Overachiever, underachiever, know-it-all, popular, jock, nerd, insignificant, lazy, selfish, dependable, flaky, damaged. These are names that we give ourselves. There are names that are given to us by people who are close to us. When we are called these names, and then we embrace these names, we grow up with people telling us who we are and what we're supposed to be doing for better and for worse. And these names begin to shape us and they define us and they hijack our identity and wreak havoc on our worth. Names are important. Names run deep. These names take over our identity and they reflect out into our behavior our sins, our addictions, our hurts, our damage, our achievements, our idols can all be traced back to names we believe about ourselves. And so in viewing that triangle, we have names that create identity. And then that identity filters out into our behavior. Names either given to us by others or given to ourselves, they all impact the reality of who we are, and the behavior that we have. And that identity informs how we act and live. Names play a significant role in Scripture as well. We see this over and over and over. We have Jacob, whose name means deceiver. How would you like to grow up being named deceiver? Hey, liar, it's time for dinner. This name is on him. And he lived up to that. He lived up to his name of deceiver. In 2011, there was a doctor who was a health official in India who conducted a survey of his district and discovered that there were 222 girls that had been named Nakusa. It's a word which means unwanted. 222 girls named unwanted. And in most cases, after the birth of two or more female children, the next one would be named Nakusa by their parents. Because in Indian culture, it places a high value on male children, so, so much so that hospitals are legally forbidden to reveal the sex of a child before birth in hopes of preventing gender-selective abortions. 
the same article that this was in, goes on to point out that male children are preferred to females partly because, of their ex, um, because it's very expensive to give girls away in marriage. Families often go into debt to provide a dowry for their daughters, whereas a boy, he brings the dowry in. So can you imagine being in a place where you were named unwanted, and this was not just a nickname, this was not just a curse, this was your legal name given to you by your parents, unwanted. Imagine hearing roll called at school as they list out the names of the kids checking for attendance, and your name gets over to the list. Undesirable, left over, wish you were a boy, unloved. Imagine the huge impact that that has on these girls' identity. Identity comes from a name. So I want you to spend just a moment reflecting. And if you've got one of the bulletins or you've got something to write with or something that you're taking notes in, I want you to think and reflect and write down what are the names that you have been given? What are the names that you've been given? Either given to you or given to yourself. Write down those names or just spend a moment writing it down in your head, reflecting on the names that you've been given. Spend just a moment to do that. Hold on to that. We've got names. Hopefully you were able to find a few there. Dr. Pawar, the, the man who discovered these girls who had been named unwanted, he led a team and, and, and works at conducting renaming ceremonies. And that's what you see here. It's where these girls are gathered and their names are legally changed. That they, they receive a new name and with it a new identity. Names from unwanted to names that mean prosperous and beautiful and good. That the names are changed. The identity is changed. And it really reminds us of how our names are changed. Our names are changed through Jesus. That whatever that old identity is, whatever those names are that, that have been burdened on us, whatever has happened in the past, whatever labels are heaped on top of us, that those are gone. We have a renaming ceremony that changes our names. This story reminds me of the story in Hosea chapter 1 and 2 where the prophet is instructed by God to name his children Lo Ruhamah, which means not loved, and Lo Ami, which means not my people. And so here you have Hosea with two children, and God is instructing him to give these children lousy names. A name which means unloved. A name which means not my people. And their names were to be messages to the people of Israel of God's judgment on their disobedience and their idolatry. God wanted desperately for Israel to return to him. And so he uses the prophet as, as this metaphor with children with these names of unloved and not my people. 
But then in a wonderful act of grace in chapter 2, God says this, I will show my love to the one I called not my loved one. I will say to those called not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. Hosea provides this incredible metaphor, and, and there's so much more going on throughout Hosea here with the imagery. But, but in this particular section, we've got God labeling these people, and it's all an object lesson. Because there is something deeper going on, there's something more significant going on here. And, and God is sending his message because, just because they have these names, just because they have the name of not my people, or not loved. God, in an act of grace and mercy, takes those names and renames them. They are transformed and their identity is changed. That those labels that were on them, the messages and the failures and the, the disappointments and the damage that was done prior to that is now gone because God takes them and says, you are now loved. You are now my people. Not because of anything that you did, not because of anything significant in, in their change of behavior, but because God's grace is enough. That God rests in that place and says, I'm with you. I love you. You are my people. In the same way, the names that we have been given, the names that have shaped our identity, are changed. We go through a renaming ceremony when we accept Jesus, his death, his resurrection, all gives us a new name, a new identity. We were enemies, and now we're friends. We were objects of wrath, and now we're loved. Because God is in the renaming business. He goes and finds those people with the rotten names, and the tarnished image, and the, the damaged identity, and he renames them. The truth is nothing will separate us from the Father's love. Nothing will separate us. There's nothing that you can do to make God love us more than he already does. And there's nothing we can do that will make him love, make him love us less. So our identity really looks something more like this. That instead of the names that are lies, we have a father who renames us and gives us a new identity. He gives us a new meaning, a new image of ourselves. And because of that, we have obedience to that father. That living out that identity, living out those new identities for ourselves we are obedient to a father who gives us that new identity, a father who loves us so much. We can see this modeled in Jesus' life. Before Jesus went into his public ministry, he met John the Baptist at the, at the river and went down to be baptized. And after Jesus was baptized, God speaks up and he identifies Jesus. He identifies who he is. And he says, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Jesus is given a new identity, a new recognition of, of who he is in context of the Father. 
He is a son. He is the son of God, and God loves him. And it is out of this blessing, out of this identity, that Jesus goes into his ministry, that he walks out his obedience to the call on his life. He's the son of God. And out of this blessing, Jesus operates. And Jesus does the same. He is a renamer as well. He takes Simon and renames him Peter, Rock. Peter, who would, after many failures and many stumbles along the way, would become the rock of faith that the apostles and the early church would stand. Jesus renames him. And then remember Jacob. Jacob, named deceiver. The poor kid going around being called liar. And he is renamed Israel, triumphant with God. Quite a change from liar to triumphant. I want you to take those names that you wrote down or made note of, take those, and listen to these new names as Jesus comes in and gives us a new identity that leads to newfound obedience. Who am I? I'm the salt of the earth, according to Matthew 5.13. You are the light of the world, Matthew 5.14. I'm a child of God, John 1.12. You are part of the true vine, a channel of Christ's life, John 5.1 and 5. I'm Christ's friend, John 15, 15. You are chosen and appointed by Christ to bear his fruits, John 15, 16. I'm a slave of righteousness, Romans 6, 18. You are enslaved to God, Romans 6, 22. I am a son of God. God is my father. Romans 8, 14 and 15. You are a joint heir, a joint heir with Christ, sharing his inheritance with him. Romans 8, 17. I'm a temple, a dwelling place of God. His spirit and his life, they dwell inside of me. Corinthians 3, 16. You are united to the Lord and the one spirit and one spirit with him. You're united with him. 1 Corinthians 6:17. We're all a member of Christ's body. 1 Corinthians 12:27. We are a new creation. New creation. Not old, but new. 2 Corinthians 5:17. We're reconciled to God and, and, are, and are ministers of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5. We are sons and daughters of God and one in Christ. Galatians 3.26. We are an heir of God since we are the sons and daughters of God. Galatians 4. We are saints we're God's workmanship. We're fellow citizens with the rest of God's family. We are prisoners of Christ. We are righteous and holy. 
We are citizens of heaven. We're seated in heaven right now. We're hidden with Christ in God. We are an expression of the life of Christ because he is our life. We are chosen of God, holy and dearly loved. We are sons and daughters of light, not of darkness. We are a partaker of Christ and share in his life. We are one of God's living stones being built up in Christ as a spiritual house. We are members of a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. We are aliens and strangers in this world in which we temporarily live. We are an enemy of the devil. We are a child of God and we resemble Christ when he returns. We are born of God, and the evil one, the devil, cannot touch me. I am not the great I am, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Who am I? Who are we? Reflecting on the names that that Scripture gives us transforms our identity into something completely different. That the image of of who we are and what we're called to and the power that dwells inside of us has such tremendous impact on who we are and how we walk out our faith. And we're going to continue to walk through that over the next few weeks. As we look at the power that rests in us with this newfound identity, something that completely transforms us and changes us and gives us tremendous strength, tremendous power to make an impact and a difference in this world. As we seek to make disciples who love God and love others, as as we seek that goal, we have to be confident of who we are first. And all of those lousy names, those lies that we have on us, that's not the real deal. That is not who we are. We're something far greater something far greater. Jesus comes and transforms and renames everything about us. Let's reflect on that as we watch this clip. Hello, my name is. And what do you write on that tag? Because the way we carry ourselves, the way we live our lives, often times we have something written on that name tag that is not the truth. We carry around those lies with us, and we we wear them so close to us. And it's time to get rid of those. It's time to to release those lies, to release those names that we have, have burdened ourselves with and speak truth over that. And so we're going to spend some time in prayer. We're going to have shepherds down front, and, and you can mix and mingle and pray with one another. If you've got a relationship with somebody and you want to, you want to pray with them, you can come down and pray with one of us. But, but speak. I would speak those lies. Verbalize those so that you can release those. And then receive the new name. As Jesus renames us, through his death and resurrection. 
And maybe you have yet to confess Jesus as Lord, and, and that's the first step that you need to do. You need to, you need to come down and confess that Jesus is the one who's in the renaming business, and I want my name redone. And we can do that through baptism this morning. Whatever it is that you have, let's come forward as we sing. God, I pray for this time now. I pray that you will, um, that you will convict us, that you will inspire us, that you will give us great courage to release to you the lies that we have believed about ourselves. God, I pray for truth to reign supreme in this place, that we will not hear the lies of the enemy, but we will hear your truth through everything. It's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.